Hey guys, this week's episode is brought to you by Universal Furniture. Remember how a few weeks ago they were giving away $10,000 of living room furniture? Well, they're back at it, but this time for your dining room. So if you need new dining room furniture, check out universalfurniture.com YHL to enter now through October 16th. I'm John. And I'm Sherry. We like home stuff. We like talking. And we like the occasional game show sound effect. So welcome to Young House Love Has a Podcast, where we have deep and not so deep conversations about DIY, design, and life at home. Guys, we've got some big news this week, and we're pretty sure you're going to question our sanity. But we can't wait to talk about what we did, why we did it, and how we could afford to make it all happen. I don't know if you guys are ready for this. I'm Kristen Wiig in that skit where she's like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Guess what, guys? I apologize for all the screeching I'm about to do. I'm trying to get to the news, okay? Build up. Wait for it. We bought a beach house. And I thank you guys. Thank you. I already know that. Yes. I know this sounds like deja vu, but uh, we bought another beach house. Are we crazy? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Did we just tile too many rooms that we don't feel like tiling anymore, but we just bought a house with more rooms to tile? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So let's tell this story because it's kind of a weird one. I need to calm down. I feel like I'm just screaming. You know what? You calm down. I will start setting the stage for everyone. So um, let's lay out the basics of what we bought. It is another house in Cape Charles. And, in fact, it is just two doors down from the house we already own. There's one house between the two houses we own in Cape Charles. If you remember that house that was on HETV Beachfront Bargain Hunt, we blogged about it a few months ago. That house is the only house that separates our pink house from this new house that we bought. And actually, this new house is uh, two houses. (laughs) It's a duplex. So it has like twice as many kitchens and bathrooms to deal with. And we are certifiable at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's held together with duct tape. No, no. It's, there is duct tape on the gutter, don't lie. It's in comparable condition to the pink house when we bought it. So, um, gosh, I'm trying to figure out the right way to explain this because it's such a weird kind of like happenstance of it. Let's just establish the fact that like when we bought the pink house, as I will call it for this story, because uh, the beach house is now confusing. Maybe the beach house and the beach duplex. I'd say the pink house and the duplex. Okay. I was calling him Pinky in the Brain the other day. <laughs> it does have two halves. It is. <laughs> two hemispheres. Is that what they're called? Um, What do they call them? You have the left brain and the right brain. Right, but aren't they called something spheres? Uh, I don't know. Chambers, uh, that's the heart. Yeah, I don't know. Anyways. This is a dying analogy. Yeah. So when we bought the pink house... I think Sharon and I knew that was not going to be our last home project. Like we've tossed around the idea of maybe buying a rental home here in Richmond, like a long-term rental property. We've had our eyes out for that sort of thing for years. And so in addition to that idea, we've also kept our eye out in Cape Charles because as we said, when we bought the other house last year, this is a town we really love. We think it's a great place and it's actually kind of on the up and up. And so this is a great time for us to kind of get in. Well, we can because it's like a 10 block radius. Yeah, it is not a big town, at least where the historic homes are. There's are some other like bigger like golf communities. Right. Nearby. So the minute we bought the pink house, we said to our realtor who we super love, anything that starts with a one, tell us. Like Even the price starts with a one. Right. And we're not saying a million. You're saying And we're not saying one thousand dollars. <laughs> we're saying low hundred thousands. We got the beach house, I think you guys recall, for hundred and twenty five thousand dollars. So we said to her, anything sort of in that range, 
let us know. Even if it's a month later, if it's two years later, that's sort of our sweet spot. Maybe not a month later. <laughs> we just immediately were kind of like, these are not always going to be here. Well, and we witnessed over the months of kind of keeping our eye open that there really were not a lot that fit some of our criteria. Like Sherry said, we wanted something that was in a certain price range. We wanted something that was in a good location, kind of like our current one. And we also wanted something that was in like, I was going to say a good condition, but no, we wanted something that was in a compromised condition, I guess, so that there was some improvements we could do. Right. And so there's been some other houses over the last year that have sort of popped up and for some reason didn't work. There was one that actually was cheaper than our pink house and actually was already demoed, which was a plus at that point. But it was at a further location that we didn't think made sense for us. Right. We were kind of being location snobs. I think that's what we learned with the last house. Our current house that we purchased. The pink house. No, our current house. Oh, that we're sitting oh, in right in now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Too many houses. This is getting confusing. <laughs> so our forever home that we live in in Richmond, we were kind of holding out for this location. And it's funny how once you get a house where you want your house, you don't think about getting other houses. Like we never want to move. Even within the neighborhood, we don't. We love this house. And I think the pink house, we really lucked out because we knew it was a few blocks from the beach and right near a park and a playground and right near the shops. And so it's nice to run out and get lunch in a minute from your door. You know, it's nice it's to go cute. use one of the bathrooms that's finished in one of the shops. Right. When you don't you're have tiling a and don't have house. a bathroom. Right. Exactly. So when this house came up for sale on our street, the duplex. It's the only other house on our entire street that needs work. And this little eyesore, when it came up for sale, the entire block rejoiced. Like we all were thrilled because it was kind of run down. Yeah, it had been a long-term rental unit, but I guess one of the tenants moved out and so the guy decided to sell it. And so it had been unoccupied for a few weeks. And when we saw it for sale, like, yeah, we kind of like daydreamed about it a little bit. We talked to one of our neighbors who was also daydreaming about it, but we quickly wrote it off because of the price. Guys, it started with the two. It was yep. two fifty. Yep. So that immediately no discounted it. We, we got a house for one twenty five. Who pays two fifty for a house when you could get one for one twenty five? And it's not even as cute. It's the it lacks some of the inherent charm that the other houses have. Yeah, I was going to say it's the ugly duckling because it has a flat roof and it doesn't have stained glass. It doesn't have the amazing back staircase. There just isn't you know, as much cuteness. How about this? Let's put some pictures in the show notes so you guys can see them. I think we also probably need to write a post with more pictures, but we'll put a, a sneak peek of it in the show notes so you guys can see it's, um, I don't know, baseline charm. But what I was going to say is that, so it sat there and we all were like, oh no, I mean, it would be fun, but it's too expensive. Like everyone on the street was saying the same thing, not as cute, overpriced. And then we were talking to our contractor because actually we got wind that another house was coming up for sale for 223 on another street, but it was further from the beach and further from from the shops and in just as bad condition. So our contractor said to us, why are you going to be much further away from everything and spend 223 when there's this other house for 250? And I said, listen, 250 is too much. It's not very cute because of the flat roof. And he said, well, why are you looking at it as 250? It's two houses. It's 125 and 125. It's a duplex. You have two rentals. And you guys know we would spend 125 on a house. Because <laughs> we did. And I was like, wait a minute. He's really right. You do the roof once. You do the windows once. It could take you five years to fix up two other houses. But if they're all combined into one house in the form of a duplex, you fix up the one house, but you get two rental units. And suddenly I was like, John, we're buying the duplex. <laughs> <laughs> So I called up the realtor and I said, I'm going to look at the duplex, but I'm warning you, you know, I like things that start with a one. Would he sell it for 200? 
And she was like, I do not think he would sell it for 200, but it could start a conversation. So I said, let's just look at it together. And our contractor volunteered to come over and look at it with us. This is all happening while John's like grouting or something. Yes. Something's I was happening. tiling this entire time. Sherry was keeping me in the loop. I'm like, I am here dying of heat exhaustion in a half tiled <laughs> bathroom. And she's she's talking about like adding another three bathrooms to our to-do list. I'm like, listen. What do I mean? Six bathrooms, not three bathrooms. Yeah, I'm like, what's another seven bathrooms? <laughs> Let's just buy the block. John, you're on a roll. Just just keep going. (laughs) So I'm like, we're just going to look at it. And so the house had been sitting for a while. It hadn't just hit the market. I thought that they should be at least amenable to a lower price. I knew that he probably wouldn't take 200. So I walked through it. I looked at everything with my contractor. I started mapping out floor plans to figure out how we could get two great rentable spaces. And then I said, well, John, come over. Look at it with me. So John took a tiling break. He went to another house with no air conditioning. <laughs> right. Just as run down. A little bit stinkier. Yes, yeah, do- I would say much smellier than the house I was in. Right. We call it the smelly house. And we walk through it together and John starts to show me a glimmer of excitement. Yeah. Well, ever since it came up on the market, I was like, that would be a cool property to have, especially it would be easy for us to have both of our houses on the exact same street. Right. And it's the added convenience of this duplex where you fix up one thing, but you get two rental units. So almost like more efficient than fixing up the pink house. And we already know like the contractors, we already know the flurry finishers. Like the hardest house to fix up in a new area is the first house. Yeah, I feel like it's so much easier now contemplating how this will go because we kind of have our people and our systems in place. Like it is much less overwhelming than it was starting the pink house last year. Exactly. And so I said, I think we can do it. Money-wise, we just wait. There's nothing that's like super urgent about the duplex that we have to get on. It's not like leaking or falling into the ground. Right, it's not going to implode if we don't immediately dump $50,000 into it or whatever. I just said like, I feel like we'd miss this opportunity and there's nothing really else on our street that's a fixer-upper and we love the location of our street. And in the neighboring streets, the numbers are dwindling of houses that will ever be in the ones ever. And so this is a finite number. And so, yes, we could wait till we finish the pink house and look for something in the ones, but we've waited sort of the whole year since we bought the pink house. And this has been the first time something has met the criteria. And we almost missed it. Like the contractor had to point out to us how great this house was for us. And so I started to get excited. And the thing that made me really, really want it, like dying for it, because I still was having this lingering, like, but it's not as cute and it doesn't have as much charm, is when the contractor was like, look, it kind of reminds me of a Georgian. It does have this flat roof, but the layout is similar. It's like Georgian-ish. It's Victorian also because everything in the neighborhood is sort of victorian Someone put up some like gingerbread across the top that I doubt was there originally. No, there's like wagon wheels. No, they, yeah. they, when we talked to the realtor, she's like, none of this is original. Somebody kind of messed with it. You know, they're like They tried mutts. to cute it up. They did try to cute it up. It's just like the wrong things. But um, I came across this house when I was Googling or Pinteresting Georgian and I'll put it in the show notes and I will put a picture of the duplex and I will put a picture of this inspiration house. They are almost exactly the same. I think there's one window difference. And the change that my brain went through when I saw the beauty after in the inspiration. Now I can't look at the ugly before and not see the after. Like I was having trouble visualizing the after. So I think that's a good lesson for anyone if you're going to buy a house or even renovate a room. If you find another room that's kind of similar to it or another house that's kind of similar to it, it can be your guiding light. It can excite you. It can show you a color scheme you might like. 
you know, a treatment of architecture you might want to add, like crown molding or brackets or something on the porch. It can convince you to spend over $200,000 on a new house. <laughs> exactly. You know, all the things you ever wanted in life. So what we did is we offered 220 and we said that's pretty much our top. You know, we really wanted to spend something starting with the one and we understand that it's two units, but that's just the top of our budget. And guys, he took our offer. So for 110 each side, we essentially have three rental properties in Cape Charles, none of which are rentable right now, but all three of which we hope will be rentable soon. But like, I don't think it's unrealistic to think by next summer, maybe all three will be rentable. Oh gosh, here you maybe. go. Maybe. Here you go putting more timelines out that we can miss. That we'll then miss because of some drama like, oh, we don't have a water meter. But guys, guess what? We checked. We checked. There's a water meter at this house. That was like the first thing Sharon and I both looked. We're like, let's make sure it has water. Right. And I'm like, like sewer, what else is going to bite it? It actually turned on inside. Something we could have done when we bought the pink house. Uh, and I'm sure you guys are actually probably wondering a little bit about like the finances of all this and sort of like how we can dive into another big project like this relatively quickly. I mean, I know it's been a year, but a year is not all that long. Um, so we are actually going to kind of tackle that a little bit, sort of like how we managed to make this work for us financially and how we've saved up the money to make these things possible. But first... I have a game for Sherry. This is like the ultimate filibuster. Like, right, exactly. Let's just play a game and then we'll get to the money right, thing. Right, it's like American Idol. It's like, but right. first, a recap of the entire season. <laughs> Letting Sherry take a final chug of her bye. Listen, guys, I have all the energy in the world. Goodness knows I don't need more caffeine, but I'm drinking a bye like, for some reason. Like, oh, good. The what's not music. I can take a swig. <laughs> so for this installment of what's not, you know, this is the part of the show where I quiz Sherry. I'm going to give her a list of things in a certain category. All are real except for one. And she has to tell me what's real and what's not. Uh, we talk a lot about decluttering and getting rid of things on this podcast. Is that mm-hmm. true? Yes. I found an article that actually approached it from a different angle that I'm not used to thinking about. Uh, it's from Country Living. And it's entitled Six Things to Consider Getting Rid of Before They Come a Burden for Your Kids. Oh, that so, is something yeah. you don't think about. You know, we think about how do we declutter for like our daily sanity, but we don't think about in decades when like maybe we move on to a different house or the afterlife. <laughs> <laughs> move on to a different realm. Right, exactly. <laughs> Another plane of existence. Um, you know, what happens to the stuff that we have? And so what are things... Because you can't take it with you. Nope. So they rounded up six things that people think might be helpful to pass all along, but actually aren't. Oh, like you leave your kids 30,000 photo albums and it's really a burden. Right. Got it. Most of these come from the approach of like what actually holds monetary value, not necessarily sentimental value. So that's just a clue. Okay. All right. So no albums. (laughs) Yes. I'm going to give you five things to consider getting rid of before they become a burden for your kids. One of them is fake. Number one, antique furniture. I could see the perception that something is worth something, but then the kids don't want it because it's like just gathering dust and they don't think it's their style. Number two, China, not the country. Um, That would be, wait, my brain is having a hard time. Because we bought another house and it has not got up. <laughs> Hold on. So one of these things is a plant, but the rest of them are things they're saying do not leave to your kids right. or think twice about leaving to right, your kids. Right, that you possibly should get rid of before you die. Well, I mean, I think all of these things, it depends on if it's their style. Because if you left your china to your daughter who loves your teacups and always wanted your china, then it's a plus. But if you leave your china to your kids who don't care about your like gold-lined pink china and wouldn't use it, then... 
I mean, there's Craigslist, though. I reiterate, the list comes from a place of monetary value for the most part, not okay, your so style. It thinks maybe you think you're giving them China that's worth something and they're going to say like, survey says not worth anything. Right. That's the right thought process. Okay. Number three, art. I mean, I love my art. I want my children to like my art, but I'm not going to force it on them. But I think that might hurt your kids' feelings if you get rid of your art. I mean, any of these could hurt their feelings if they indicated a desire for it. This is a mental workout, isn't it? It is. I'm like in my final act of vengeance after I die. Okay, we'll lighten it up. Number four, dolls. Um, Yeah, don't leave your kids your dolls. That's just creepy. And the last one, rugs. Oh, my kids are going to fight over my rugs. I think that the plant is art. Sherry Petersick, you are correct. Yes! Because we love our art too much to, to not give it to them, right? You can't give that to a stranger. Well, a lot of these things surprise me because I think that they fall under the category of typically things you think you hand down because they become heirlooms and like increase in monetary value, like especially like antique Beanie furniture. babies. Well, <laughs> dolls was sort of of that vein. They were saying like people used to like pass down their like hordes of Barbie dolls in their oh. boxes, but they said- <gasps> What about Legos? Remember, your mom gave us a big bin of Legos, and it was, like, amazing. To Our kids love it. Well, yes, but that's to play with. They were saying, like, people thought the dolls would, like, increase in value, be worth something. But they say the younger generations don't seem to be as interested in them, so you can't sell them for as much more. Got it. Same thing for China. They said, like, China is not as valued as it once was, and so it's less likely to, like, get your kids rich. But I was surprised about the antique furniture and the rugs, because these days I feel like, you know, in our circle – Old furniture and old rugs are like so valued. Like people would kill to have hand-me-downs from their parents that are like extra old and extra special. Right. But they were just saying in general, they like interviewed a lot of like auctioneers and stuff. And people oh, who that's sell stuff. so interesting. Yeah. They just say like dressers that used to sell for $1,500 sell for like 200 bucks. Okay. You ready? I'm going to get deep here. This is the wrong podcast for deepness. <laughs> Don't buy things because you think later when you give them to your kids, they'll be worth more. Your kids probably all would rather inherit your money. <laughs> so don't spend it on stuff, right? I don't right? think it really was as deep as you thought it was going to be. <laughs> well, then I was like coming from the girl who just bought a beach house. <laughs> you know what? Just give your kids money. <laughs> but you know, I think that that might fall under money too. Like houses and money are probably the favorite thing to inherit because the value is inherent. Right. Versus rugs and china and these things that like you then have to figure out how to gain the value by like selling them at an auction or all these ways like the inherent value of like if your parents leave their beach house to the four kids when they're gone the four kids will gather there and see each other and it's like fight over it right (laughs) no but i think it like creates this legacy where like it's harder to create a legacy with china or tchotchkes right well and the reason i thought i included art as a fake i found that on a list from apartment therapy of five future heirloom investment pieces that are worth every penny. So things that you should consider buying. They pointed out that original artwork that is signed by an artist, so we're not talking about a print, like this is original and has some proof of being original, has a good potential grown value, but also because it is so personal and sentimental, it's much more likely to remind your kids of you and their childhood growing up around it than your China will, for instance. Yeah. Well, I will put a link to the full list of six things to consider getting rid of before they become a burden for your kids. Such a positive, uplifting article. Uh, I'll put that link at younghouselove.com slash podcast so you can see all six of them. But now, for the stunning results of the American Idol finale. (laughs) Right, filibuster over. I said we were going to talk about how this was financially possible for us to uh, buy this duplex. 
And I mean, it's no secret that Sherry and I like to save money. We talk, I feel like, all the time about scrimping and saving money. Like cutting the cable. We only have one car. Like there are certain things we do to save money every month. Right. I don't want to get into all those like little things because we've talked about them a lot. We'll put some links in the show notes maybe of some ways that people can see how we've saved money over the years and tips. Heck, we did a whole episode last week about budgeting and stuff like that. So it's plenty of other places. There's one thing though that we haven't mentioned that is a huge factor in this being possible for us right now. And that's the fact that we have been able to pay off the mortgage for our home here in Richmond. The one that we live in every day, we do not have a mortgage on. We do not send a monthly bill in. It feels awesome and it allows us to move on to these other properties. Like it's it's a big part of our sort of like a quote unquote financial freedom. I don't know. That sounds like a credit card commercial. It sounds like there needs to be like a, an eagle in the logo. Right. <laughs> right? There'd be like a jingle that's like, freedom, <laughs> let it ring. Financialfreedom.com. That is probably a real website you just plugged. <laughs> don't go to financialfreedom.com. Yes. They'll probably steal your identity. They are not a sponsor of this podcast. <laughs> um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about how we got to the point where we could pay off the mortgage here because it was a big deal for us to be able to do. I know it's a, a goal of lots of people out there and it was not something that came quickly. It wasn't like we decided in a couple months like, hey, we should really pay this off. <laughs> no, I think it's something that actually was built from, I guess, the whole 11 years that we've been homeowners, like from day one of getting our first mortgage back in our first house. Yeah, which how old were we when we bought our first house? We were 25. Okay. Yes. And I remember then my friend, I had a business partner that I did product naming with in California and she said, here's my tip for you, get a 15-year mortgage. So at age 25, without knowing much at all, she handed that one tip to us. And so I guess, are we just going to run down like a list yeah. of how we've done it? Why not? I mean, I think we are generally kind of uncomfortable with debt. So one thing we did at, again, Sherry's co-worker's recommendation was we got a 15-year mortgage. You know, a lot of people, the standard, I think, is 30 years. Mm-hmm. But if you can do a 15, that means that your payment, your monthly payment is a little bit higher. But since it's not dragged out over so many years, you're going to be paying less interest over time. And it's like significant. I don't remember what the cost was, but someone to demonstrate said like, say you get a loan for X amount, but you pay it off in 15 years instead of 30, you save like $80,000 in interest. Well, I'm sure it depends on the cost of the house, but yeah. Clearly, yeah. But you're not like saving five grand. Right. It's huge. And it's how banks can make money by lending money. They make money in the interest, you know? (laughs) Right, exactly. But the other thing we did, again, from day one was we also overpaid our mortgage because you have the option to send in additional money. You want to make sure that you earmark it as for your principal. Right. Like on the line of our check, we had to write deposit towards principal, not towards the whole amount. Yeah. Sometimes I even send in a separate check just to make sure that they didn't apply it to the interest because I wanted to chip away the cost of the house, not the interest they were charging. So we did that because having moved from New York to Richmond, the cost of real estate was a lot cheaper. And so actually our total mortgage payment was less than our combined rent had been in New York. Oh yeah. I was paying 1200 alone in rent in yeah, New York. I don't remember what I think our mortgage yours was. was. 800. So My we were, rent was, yeah. Yeah, so combined we were paying 2,000 and I think our mortgage payment was like 1,000. And so we double paid it regularly. We'd spend in 2,000. So we'd do 1,000 of the mortgage payment and then an extra 1,000 towards principal. Right. We had sort of said to ourselves like this was already a cost that was built in sort of our our daily habits when we were in New York. Let's not use the excuse of having a cheaper house to let us spend less on housing. Like let's really double down almost literally some months where we were sending that double payment. Uh, I don't think we double paid every month because no, it was, was, it was tight a lot of times. Yeah. Sometimes we didn't overpay, but when we could, we put a lot of our extra money there instead of on like vacations and yachts. 
Exactly. We have you no know? yachts, you guys. We have yeah. a bunch of houses, but no yachts. Yeah. The other thing we did, and this is still actually when we were in our first house, was a couple years into owning that house and having overpaid and really nicked away at our principal payment a lot and that principal balance, we actually refinanced. You know, that's when you go and basically convert your existing mortgage into a new one. A lot of people do that when they can get a better interest rate so that they are paying less each month and they will pay less interest over time. One big reason we did it, in addition to the lower interest rate, was because we had paid down so much of our principal that we could get a new loan for a much lower amount because we had much less of our balance left. Yeah, I think refinancing doesn't always make financial sense, and you should talk to someone. Usually, someone not who's us, happy, right? Someone who's happy to advise you on whether or not it would make sense. I think if you're going to sell within a few years, it's not always worth it. We liked it because as people who don't love debt, it felt like yay, the new loan amount is so much smaller now that we'd paid down so much, and the refinancing just felt good because it was like we were chipping away at a smaller boulder, if that makes sense. And also it lowered our monthly payments so that when we were able to overpay, we were able to put even more towards principal because a lot of times we said like, let's just send in the old amount that we used to owe, even though that's not what our bill is for. So that put us on a path very early to get rid of a mortgage payment. And so I think that was actually a building block that we didn't really realize at the time was really helpful over time as we've sold that house and bought other ones. Because now, you know, we live here in our third house and our third house is more expensive than our first. But because we did so much work paying off that mortgage earlier, all of our homes have had smaller and smaller mortgage loans each time because we've had less that we've had to ask the bank for. Exactly. Our loan for our third house, this current house that we live in that everyone looks at and thinks is so much more expensive than our other houses, that loan amount was less than our first house. And our first house was in the ones, guys. (laughs) Not a million, not a thousand, you know? And so to get a loan for this house, smaller than that, it was easier to eventually picture ourselves paying it off and being mortgage-free. And then it actually happened in real life. Right. And I think actually the overarching thing that made this possible for us, because I feel like we're saying a lot of like, we just overpaid our loan. Like we had all this extra money sitting around. A big part of it is because we bought homes in every case that were below our means. Yes. That's the underline and bold thing here. Don't buy a house at the top of your budget because how will you ever make double payments? The reason we can make double payments is because when the bank said we could get X, we wanted something much smaller and more modest than X. Well, except you're forgetting a little bit of history because the bank did (laughs) not say we could get X. I feel like... Did we talk about this on the podcast once? Yeah. Well, we've talked about how the bank only saw one person's income because John was working for the man and I was working for myself. Right. When we bought our first house, Sherry was self-employed, but since she had been self-employed for only a few months, she didn't have a tax return to legitimize her income. So in the eyes of the bank, she was unemployed. So even though we were earning two incomes, they only looked at one as a measure of what we could afford for a house. So the bank forced us to buy a house that was smaller and cheaper than we could have actually paid. Right. But we actually say that's such a blessing. And then the funny thing is that when we bought our second house, wasn't it reversed? Yeah, it was the reverse because I had left my full-time job to come work on the website and I didn't have a tax return yet. So I was the quote unquote unemployed one in the eyes of the bank when we bought our second house. Right. But I had been a freelancer for long enough that they trusted me and believed me this time. And so my income counted. So anyway, long story short is even if the bank says both of you make X amount and you can afford this $500,000 house... Maybe look at one like that, but then look at one that's $300,000. You know, I think even though it was only going by your income, John, I think we were approved for like two twenty-five. Okay, I don't remember. And our first house was one ninety-six. Ninety-six. Yep. There it is. The price of our first house. It was listed at one ninety-five, but we threw an extra thousand to just say, hey, we mean it. <laughs> that's a true story. <laughs> we overpaid by a thousand dollars to get the house. 
Houses were selling really fast, like within a yeah. few days. We anticipated we really a bidding war. There was no bidding war. <laughs> right. But now we still laugh at how we're like, we'll sweeten the deal with a thousand dollars. A thousand bucks. <laughs> Go do, buy yourself something nice. <laughs> actually, you know what? The duplex that we just bought is like, I feel like the only house where we actually negotiated on the price. Right. It was the best deal. The best deal that we've ever gotten. And we got $30,000 off the list price. And it was, yeah, not that expensive of a house to start with. Yeah, because we paid list price on this house because there was a bid Multiple offers. Yeah. Yeah. We gave full list price here, but there were four people bidding on it and three were investors and then there were us. And we've heard that the reason we got it is because we were a family. So we weren't investors. We weren't looking to flip it. We weren't walking around saying, we're going to just demolish this whole woods and make a pool. Right. (laughs) We were going to leave it sweetly like it is and move our family in. Right. So long story short, being able to pay off our mortgage here at our house in Richmond has been a huge burden lifted and allowed us to look at these other things like these beach houses. And like we said at at the start, like it's not something that has just come about in the last few months. It's something we've worked at for years and like chipped away at from the very moment we bought our first house back in 2006. Yes. And for anyone listening who's like, oh my gosh, but I want to double pay and I want to get a 15-year mortgage and I want to refinance, but I'm not sure how that's going to make any significant amount. I would just remind you, it was 11 years, guys. That's so, you know, like even overpaying by a thousand. I don't know if that's really encouraging. No, I mean, I, I just mean every little bit Don't worry, helps. guys. In 11 years, you'll, you'll reach your dreams. <laughs> I just think that back then when we were 25, like what would you tell your 25-year-old self? It might not feel like you're doing much now, but like in a decade, it will really be significant what you've done. I'd say buy stock and Apple. I know, I would say that too. And Crocs. <laughs> gibbets. Remember those were like the things that you stuck in Crocs. Do you guys remember gibbets? That's a great way to end this financial advice segment. <laughs> Buy stock in gibbets. Right. Um, well, oh, but I'm going to put some links in the show notes to other saving money tips that we've shared. I'll link to some podcasts about it, like Cutting the Cable. We've done other stuff about how we've saved income and money because every little bit helps. Saving little by little over a series of years, it is amazing what you can do. Who knows? Maybe one day you can tile 10 bathrooms. Right. And the other plus to the duplex is now we'll have a working bathroom in the pink house. So assuming things are not, you know, like rented out when we need them, we can have a place to stay while we work on the duplex and have a place to go to the bathroom, which is awesome. Well, and speaking of bathroom, I have a bathroom related we're digging. Segway. Yeah. But first, we got to take a quick break. So as you guys heard, this week's episode is brought to you by Universal Furniture. And I think everybody knows that the whole like rolling into a furniture store and buying a set of furniture is not necessarily the way that everybody's doing it. the matchy matchiness. Exactly. I mean, you can do it that way, but we've seen a lot of rooms with more of a layered look. You know, maybe the buffet doesn't necessarily have to match the table, which matches the chairs. Well, yeah. And actually, we were talking to Neil at Universal about just this. You know, obviously, a lot of the things we design on, on the tables and chairs, they're designed and they match. But with a lot of what we have to offer, you can mix and match some things. And, and typically, we have a variety of different, you know, chair combos where a host and hostess's chair, you know, maybe those are different. Maybe those are fabric. I didn't even know that was the name of those. The host and hostess's chairs. I always call them the end chairs. Yeah, that's what I always called them. And then I, I learned that uh, at market, actually. The king and queen's chairs. <laughs> yes. Uh, my kid would probably sit in it. So. Exactly. That's true. That's actually where we stick our son most of the time. And since nobody ever said, I don't want $10,000 worth of free dining furniture, you guys should head over to universalfurniture.com slash YHL, where you can enter to win 10 grand in free dining room furniture to upgrade your home. And the giveaway ends on October 16th. So again, it's universalfurniture.com slash YHL. 
Should I go first and relieve the suspense of the bathroom thing? or Relieve oh, the bathroom? Yours is a bit more decor related. I'm going to go first, and then you can relieve yourself. Okay. <laughs> So this week I'm digging shelf brackets. And I know what you're thinking. That's a giant category of things. But I just was thinking about the other day how it's like an instant shelf, guys. <laughs> like You don't have to figure out how to make a floating shelf. You don't have to do a built-in bookcase. It's just you buy these two things that are usually like $15. Maybe if you're splurging, they're $60. But, you know, they're a reasonable price to not have to figure out how to make a built-in. Like a bookshelf is expensive. I love how you're digging shelf brackets because they are just one of two parts to a shelf. I thought you were going to dig them because they like make a statement and they're having like a a moment where there's like so many options. No, I mean, I think they're a way to add architecture and interest in storage, vertical storage, which is great, especially if you have a small room or in a bathroom. But I love shelf brackets because I think they're really cute. Think about if you have an office with a blank wall and you put some shelf brackets and some reclaimed lumber on them. Or say you have a bathroom and you don't know what to put above the toilet, but when guests stay, they want a place to put their toiletries and you pop two brackets up there and put a white shelf. There's just so many places. In a kitchen, we love open shelving. We added brackets and reclaimed wood in our kitchen. It's one of my favorite places to stare because instead of staring at boring cabinet faces, you're staring at the pretty glassware and all the- staring at my face? I do like staring at your face. This is your favorite place to stare. <laughs> then I'm like, why are you staring at me? You're like, creepy eyes, get away. Yeah. And I mean, we're the first ones to say, we love a bookcase, we love a built-in. But I think shelf brackets are like the gateway drug. Like you can get into vertical storage affordably and easily. And don't be scared. Like they usually come with mounting instructions. They often come with the- anchors you need to secure them on the wall. I was impressed that our rejuvenation ones came with like matching screws so that like the head of the screw blended right in with the polished nickel finish because the average screw is not polished nickel. Yeah. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to dig around for some brackets that I love and I will make a mood board and put them in the show notes at younghouselove.com slash podcast. So just click into the show notes. You can see the duplex and all my dreams for that and all the pictures and you can see my shelf brackets that I'll probably use in the duplex. (laughs) I just think they're handy. Now, you may relieve yourself. Thank you. My bathroom related item that I'm digging this week is the OXO Tot Tub Drain Stopper. I know it sounds very exciting, but it was a very functional purchase for us that we made a few months ago. Uh, I think we've talked about how Sherry has had uh, trouble with baths. <laughs> it wasn't intuitive to take a bath for me. I had to teach myself let's, slowly over time. Let's not revisit that drama. <laughs> I bring this up because uh, the baths in our house here had those kind of like plug stoppers that you know, were supposed to You press. like push down and they're supposed to lock, but they never yeah, do. Yeah, they never work. So we were constantly having issues with both with Sherry and with our children with the tubs draining. And, so, and you hear like... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And so we eventually took them out. We're just using like this little plastic stopper that we found somewhere. I don't know where it came from. Right. It was like a rubber stopper. Yeah. I think it's one for actually a kitchen sink maybe. Yeah. It did a very bad job of keeping the water in the tub. So we finally went on Amazon and bought this one by OXO. O-X-O. It's eight bucks and it's meant for tots, but we use it in both bathrooms. I totally take a bath with this. Basically all it is like a flat circle of silicone with a little bit of a metal disc in the middle. And it just lays flat on top of the drain. I've been very impressed with this thing because it does stay in place despite the design not looking like it would stay in place. I think the weight of the water on top of it keeps it in there very nicely. Even with the kids in the bath, they will not knock it around uh, or lift it up. So it has worked great and it's very low profile. And there's a little suction cup on one end. I'm not entirely sure if the suction cup is to keep it to the bottom of the drain or if it's for hanging on the tub wall later. You ready for me to blow your mind? We use it for both things. No, I'm going to tell you what what it's for. 
because I read this in the description of it when we were ordering it. If you guys have those overflow drainage, but you want your tub to fill up more, you can also use it on the vertical surface of the tub to no. block the overflow so you can have a deeper bath. No, that sounds fake. I feel like this is dangerous advice. Well, you just have to stand there because you don't want it to overflow. And also, guys, you know your own body mass, right? Like I used to fill the bath to the top and get in and it would be like overflowing. You have to account for your body mass so you don't fill it up too high. Sherry's basically Eloise, guys. <laughs> My uh, ball. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Young House Love Has a Podcast. And before you dive into that next podcast in your playlist, we'd be so flattered if you took a second to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. I know I say it basically every week, but I swear it's a huge help. And keep telling us what you do while you listen. Like Jackie on Instagram, who listened on her way to her first day at her new job after nine years at her old one. Whoa. I know. We're so glad our blabbering could help calm her nerves. And don't forget to check out younghouselove.com slash podcast for all the bonus links, photos, and info from this episode, like a sneak peek of our new beach duplex. And the inspiration picture that made me fall head over heels in love with it. Later. Bye. Hey, Cracky. <laughs> I didn't know you were recording. <laughs> I'm like, she's going to stop cracking your knuckles in one second. So I, can I have so many knuckles. One, two, three, four. <laughs> I have the thumb knuckle. Do you guys know how to crack your thumb? Listen to this. It's an unknown knuckle. Nobody knows about it. People know it's a knuckle. Nobody knows how to crack their thumb.